From WUB News, you're listening to The Outlet, where campus meets community. I'm Taylor Burnett. Each week on The Outlet, we bring you stories from Southeast Ohio. This week on The Outlet, a local business is working to share a new product and other possibilities in Gloucester. We want this to be the root of economic growth in Southeast Ohio. There's so much great work happening all around us, and, and Gloucester is magically positioned right in the middle of all of it. And there was heated discussion this week at Athens City Council when an independent candidate ran down city council members about possible tokenization. Hear from our city council reporter who was there. These stories and more, right here on The Outlet. A woman in Gloucester is working to help revitalize the community. Lexi Lepoff reports a business expansion is anchoring economic development. If all goes according to plan, in three years' time, High Street in Gloucester will be transformed from rundown empty buildings into a hub of economic activity. We think that uh, this town is uh, just a, a viable, active, small business community waiting to happen. At the heart of Jane Cavarosi's vision for a better Gloucester is her plans to renovate this historic two-story building and make it the new home of her company, Dirty Girl Coffee. The plan calls for a coffee shop, a space to run an e-commerce operation, and production facility. It is a big expansion from the small barn in her backyard where Cavarosi and her partner are currently housing the company. The renovation fits with Dirty Girl's mission to promote women's economic development in Southeast Ohio. We believe where women thrive, communities thrive, right? And um, when women are hurt economically, they can't participate in in, uh, moving communities forward. Dirty Girl could have expanded elsewhere, but Cavarosi says they're in the perfect place in Gloucester. The Bailey's Trail system and the business it has driven to this area made it an easy decision. We want this to be the root of economic growth in Southeast Ohio. There's so much great work happening all around us, and, and Gloucester is magically positioned right in the middle of all of it. Cavarosi is right in the middle of that work, too, serving as president on the board of Gloucester Revitalization Organization. The GRO just finished this new outdoor space and are in the early stages of revitalizing the historic Knights of Pythias building. The bottom floor of the three-story building will be an incubator for startup business owners who don't have their own space yet to sell goods in hopes of bringing more business to Gloucester. This is not a drive-by town. This is a stop-and-visit town. So we're just uh, trying to create places for them to stop and visit. In Gloucester, I'm Lexi Lepoff for The Outlet. The Ohio women's soccer team is at the top of the Mid-American Conference, with just a few matches left in the regular season. Joe Collins reports this is a surprise to some, given the team's performance last year. But the Bobcats aren't surprised. Ohio was picked to finish 8th in the MAC preseason coaches poll. Expectations for the Bobcats were low after a 3-7 conference record in 2020 and a four-month offseason. And many believed Ohio's young talent wouldn't be able to keep up with the top teams returning a majority of their players. Head coach Aaron Rodgers says all the doubt and disappointment fueled them to improve quickly. I think they knew they knew they wanted better results. They knew that we were capable of better results, and so they all went home in the summer and and really worked hard and and really were dedicated and came back in, in great physical and, and mental stand, uh, mental shape. Ohio proved they are a different team early in conference play. They upset Buffalo, the MAC preseason favorites, two to one at home with a late goal. Then two games later, they tied Bowling Green, the three-time defending MAC champs. The Bobcats are competing with the best teams in the MAC with a 6-0-2 record in conference play. 
With a realistic shot of winning the MAC championship, the team says it's not looking too far ahead. I think we're just really sticking to the, focusing on the process, you know. Uh, obviously a MAC championship is what we want, but um, we're taking it one game at a time, bringing our intensity every day at practice, every game, and um, all 31 of us are putting in 100% effort every day and everyone can feel it. The Bobcats have shattered expectations. Now they look to go further. Reporting for the outlet, I'm Joe Collins. The Bobcats have three regular season matches remaining. They take on Eastern Michigan Thursday at home with first kick set for 4 p.m. Reporter Nick Veland has been following city council leading up to November's general election. This week, an independent council candidate speaking to the council sparked a heated discussion. Nick, thanks for joining me. Yeah, so pretty much the final moments of city council on Monday. Um, the citizens got their opportunity to speak, and a citizen did. That citizen was Damon Crane, who is an independent city council candidate running for the at-large position. And he took his three minutes to call out two members in particular, Ben Ziff and Micah McCary, who are on the council and the members at large that he's also running against um, for the no November 2nd election. So he took his opportunity to call both of them out for being tokenized for their traits and kind of how they are positioned on the council and how the Democratic Party is kind of using them. Um, to kind of fit their agenda and kind of put them on the council. He also called out Mayor Patterson um, in regards to the leaked audio tapes that were at the, basically leaked a couple, like one or two weeks ago. So he called him out on that as well. So it was just a whole kind of situation where he took his three minutes to speak and he really took it and really, really hammered in his point pretty hard um, to the council members. Gotcha. And what were the reactions and responses to this? Yeah, so a couple days later after they had their opportunity to kind of let it digest, I talked with Micah McCary, who basically said being tokenized and basically trying to use um, a person of color um, to kind of basically just put them on for their diversity just only adds stress to that community. He thinks he was a well thought-out candidate for why he was appointed. He doesn't believe that, you know, race or his characteristics had anything to do with it. And he's just appointed for basically his qualifications and basically said he wants to continue that in his next two-year term if elected. And he looks to just keep moving forward with that. Now talking with Ziff um, a couple days after, he really thought that Crane had that opportunity to speak. He think it's important for citizens to have that opportunity and kind of constructive criticism. So he thought what Crane said, um, whether he agreed with it or not, he had the right to basically speak his mind. And that's basically what Ziff was basically implying that. So he was really just really more ecstatic with the fact that the citizen had an issue and got that opportunity to speak. Absolutely. Now, with the election coming up, how does this play a factor into that? Yeah, so basically all these people involved in the situation with Damon Crane, Michael McCary, and Ben Ziff are all running for that city council at-large position. So was this a kind of political jab for the election? I couldn't tell you yes or no if that those were Damon Crane's intention, but that election is coming up sooner rather than later. And all of these are going to be 
all these people are going to be involved with that election, just fighting for those three at-large seats um, with Damon Crane, Iris Vergie are the independent candidates running for that at-large position, and then we have Michael McCary, Ben Ziff, and Sarah Grace that are running for the Democratic on the Democratic side of things, and three of those five will um, be on the council at the at-large position. So it could get pretty heated in the next couple of weeks leading up to the election, but we'll just have to wait and see. Thanks for joining us, Nick. Thanks for having me. You can find Nick's full story on WOUB.org. Fiesta Latina brought together a beloved student event at a new venue in Athens. WOUB reporter Olivia Roman found out why the event is so important to the community. A night of dancing, a celebration of culture, and community. It's a really fun opportunity for Latin American students at Ohio University to really meet each other, engage, and um, an area that's oriented toward Latin American students, um, and it's even at a Latin-owned business. So it's a fun way to end the, the month celebrating our culture. Just under 100 people heated by the dance floor at El Tanapa Friday night for Fiesta Latina, organized by the Latino Student Union. Many Latino students feel there are not a lot of places in Athens that play Hispanic music, and events like this allow some of them to enjoy their favorite genres in a public setting. The biggest ones from the Caribbeans is perreo. We always incorporate that. There's also banda and norteñas from Mexico, um, cumbia as well, salsa, bachata, merengue, a bunch of different ones as well. It's the first time the Latino Student Union has been able to hold this event in two years because of the pandemic. Their usual venue, the Union, wasn't available this time but the organization was excited to switch up the scenery and work with El Tanampa. Just a lot of planning, a lot of talking with the owners and things like that, especially because this is a new establishment. So they had to get permission and all this good stuff, but it all worked out. Fiesta Latina is more than a party. For most people, it has a deeper meaning. I know <laughs> probably for the past couple of weeks, I've been calling my dad and telling him how excited I am for Fiesta Latina. Um, just because my dad is um, Mexican-American, and so it's a good way to connect to my culture. More events from the Latino Student Union can be found at LSU Ohio U on Instagram. Hello, I am Julia Howell, back with another segment of Government Breakdown. Today we are looking at what's going on with President Biden's domestic agenda. Democratic leaders have been working towards a legislative framework that would include the majority of President Biden's social spending goals. It's quite uncommon for a president to achieve the majority of his domestic goals this early in a presidency in one bill. Many of Biden's initiatives will be kept, but compromises are being made to win the support of moderate senators like Kristen Sinema and Joe Manchin, who both want to lower the cost of the social spending bill. Senator Majority Chuck Schumer hopes to achieve the deal by the end of this week. Some of the compromises include dropping Biden's plan for tuition-free community college, an extension of the child tax credit for just one year and likely with means testing to satisfy moderate Democrats, a reduction in proposed funding for elderly and disabled home care, and scaling down Biden's paid leave proposal for workers to four weeks from 12. 
the plan's price tag is now around $2 trillion, which is higher than the $1.5 trillion targeted by Manchin, who is a key Senate swing vote. This $2 trillion price tag is also lower than the $3.5 trillion initially sought by progressives. The social spending bill and a separate infrastructure bill won't come up for a vote until Democrats can agree on how much money will be spent. The White House and Democrats in both houses of Congress need to find a compromise that will appease both moderates like Manchin and Cinema and the progressive wing of the party. Progressives have said they won't vote for the bill if too much of the social spending goals are slashed. Democrats hope to pass both the social spending bill and bipartisan infrastructure bill by October 31st, just days before the November election. If the party is not able to pass either bill before November 2nd, they fear it will appear Democrats aren't following through with their goals even though they control two key branches of government. If both bills pass, the party could appear to the public as being productive and efficient with the time Biden has had so far in office. This could help boost the image of the party right before people go to cast their local election votes. In the next couple of weeks, the White House and Congress will be working hard to find an agreement on both bills so that they can come up for a vote before the end of October. That's been it for me, Julia Howell, with this week's Government Breakdown. That's all we have for you this week. Thanks for joining us. The Outlet is produced each week by me, Taylor Burnett. We're edited by Atish Baidia, Aaron Payne, and David Forster. Jintak Han mixes our audio. Adam Rich is our technical assistant, and our theme music is performed by Ryan Gabos. Subscribe to The Outlet on SoundCloud or Spotify, as well as Apple Podcasts. You can find us online at woub.org. And you can also follow us on Twitter at Outlet underscore WUB and Instagram at WUB underscore Outlet. We'll be back next week with more stories from Southeast Ohio.